0: Okay, I always feel very at home here um, at the King's Church because you're a both and church, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, so many churches, they polarise, they sort of do an encamp around one particular truth to the detriment of the other. But I know at King's, uh, you're a both and church. You believe in mission and discipleship, uh, proclamation and demonstration, word and spirit, and a new one that I've worked out today. Uh, you mix water and electricity. Uh, So I don't know if you noticed there's these light bulbs here and I don't know, you know, it could be a little bit scary. Anyway, there we go. Uh, Anyway, great to be back at King's and to do the first today of two parts um, on share uh, in in your BLESS series. The second S in the acronym on your BLESS series. And so today, the title of today, what I'll be sharing on is Sent With Our Story. Uh, the power of faith story as we seek to be witnesses, as we seek to bless the world with the gospel. And uh, next week, speaking again next week, and uh, l- considering a little bit further about what it means to do personal witness, to, to share our faith, but particularly thinking about what it is to lead someone across the line. Most of us would never have done that. Um, but actually be in that place where we share our story and maybe when is it right Uh, to say, you know, would you like to give your life to Jesus Christ? And then how do you do that? So we'll be thinking particularly about that next week. Um, But my reflections today on Sent With Our Story, um, I'm going to uh, draw a little bit from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. And uh, my wife Tammy is going to just come and read that to us. Perhaps we could just borrow a, a mic. Is that live? Fantastic. Great. There we go. Thank you. So, Acts
1: 1, 1-8. Jesus taken up into heaven. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth.
0: Great, thank you. That final verse there, you'll receive power. The uh, risen Jesus says this to his disciples. You'll receive power um, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, even to the very ends of the earth. It's a reminder that we are the sent people of God. I know as a, as a church part of New Frontiers, you believe uh, that apostles are for today, as I do. Uh, but as well as apostles being a gift office within the church, so, so we believe, all of us as Christians are an apostolic people. We are a sent people from the Greek. The Greek word means apostolos, Uh, means sent. We are the sent people of God and we're sent with the gospel as we've just been reminded from that reading from the first chapter of the book of Acts. We're sent with the good news of Jesus Christ, sent to bless the world, uh, sent uh, with minds informed, with hearts ablaze to be a blessing in the culture in which God um, has called us to be. He's called us to be alive for such a time as this I get very frustrated sometimes when uh, Christians, they are always just complaining about the culture and what's wrong uh, with the culture. uh, Rather than seeing that we've been uniquely called, I believe, for such a time as this. God in his sovereignty, he's caused us to be alive. And I'm really excited. I I wouldn't want to be alive any other time within the history of the world than now. It's really exciting. And uh, I was excited just to see those couple of videos that you've just done all about how you're taking this seriously and thinking about bless lists, people to pray for. Prayer is really key as the first one reminded us. But being on bless adventures because we are on an adventure with God. God is on a mission and we get to join in. That's the exciting thing. God's on a mission. He's the Lord of the harvest and we get to join in. Now I'm reading through the Acts of the Apostles at the moment. One of the things that I do as a bit of a discipline is read parts of scripture uh, not to do with me having to prepare a talk for anywhere, but really just, just, just to be in Scripture. I sometimes say to people that I mentor, it's good to waste time with God. Of course, time isn't wasted with him, but particularly to young ministers, I say that, because so often you can get into just in, being in a Scripture because you're preparing it, because you're doing a talk on it. And uh, so me, I'm, I'm just working through the Acts of the Apostles at the moment and reading it um, in the King James Version, um, uh, I don't recommend that particularly to young, young Christians because it's like biblical Shakespeare, um, translated as it was in 1611. But sometimes I like to shake it up a little bit and uh, not just be in contemporary translations but in the King James. Anyway, I was on a, a plane journey uh, recently and reading the Acts of the Apostles at the beginning. And I, I got to this bit was Acts chapter 4 verse 17. And it's a bit where the early Christians, a miracle had taken place, the healing of the man at the gate called Beautiful. And this upset the Jewish authorities, because obviously this new message that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, it seemed as if it was going to upset the status quo. And these religious people didn't want the status quo um, upset. And so what they did is they forbid, they thought, they thought we'll ban these early believers these jewish believers in jesus as the messiah will ban them from speaking out and uh, but these early christians we're not going to have any of it anyway this is it verse 17 it says um they, they say these jewish rulers they say but that this message spreads no further among the people the jewish people let us threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his name and they called them and charged them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered unto them, saying, Whether it is right in the sight of God, uh, unto you uh, rather than unto God, judge ye. Uh, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Obviously it's in King James, in Old, old English. But I love that, they get, they get this ban, they not to speak about Jesus. Um, but the answer is simply this. We, in the, in the, the NIV it says, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot help. We can't help it. We can't help it but speak of what we've seen and heard. And I was struck by a difference. A difference between my own life sometimes and the life of these early Christians. I was struck between the difference of the early church the early church as it was birthed from the day of pentecost and what i see sadly is the experience of most christians today perhaps particularly in the west um people don't need a ban on them um, to stop them speaking about jesus it doesn't need to be illegal what would happen if there was an actual legal ban uh, goodness knows people don't even need it there's no legal ban but most of us do not speak about what we have seen or heard uh, the evangelist J. john I'm sure you've heard about him. He says, uh, most Christians are like Arctic rivers, frozen at the mouth. Um, and he's right. You know, most of us, you know, we, we're actually, we don't speak. We don't, there's no, no ban needed. It doesn't need to be a ban. We just are frozen. We're tongue-tied. And we don't speak about that which we've seen or heard. So I loved uh, Jean. Jean, is she watching at this service? Hi, Jean. Sorry, that's, not hi, Jean. That probably uh, sounds like a word. Hello, Jean. I feel like a friend of mine. I go, hi, Jack. You're not going to take over an aeroplane, are you? Anyway, hi, Jack. Hi, Jean. It's one of those things. Anyway, hello, Jean. Uh, nice to see you. I loved your testimony, Jean, and thank you for the authenticity and the honesty uh, with which you shared. And I reckon, Jean, you speak for many people here, perhaps most people, when you said very honestly that the thought of speaking to people about your faith, perhaps particularly people you don't even know, filled me with horror. I love your honesty there. It's true. You said, fill me with horror. Uh, you said, it's not what I do. I love that. It's not what I do. Um, and uh, um, I, it would get me out of the comfort zone, is, is what you said. Fear, uh, that's the experience of most of us. Um, Joel, in his, he, Joel was sharing one of the video clips with Steve, and he talked about, he talked about fear. He said, you know, My heart started beating. All of us have that ex- experience, don't we, sometimes, that we're filled with fear or apprehension, uh, nervousness, uh, when we think we have to speak to someone about our faith in Jesus Christ. And sometimes people think that that's not my experience, because I'm an evangelist, that's my um, calling, my gifting. People think I'm completely devoid of that, I don't know fear, but that's not true. There are times in my life uh, when my heart is beating fast, and I'm thinking, oh no, I don't want to share. And that happened to me just a few days ago. So I've just got back from um, Greece doing, doing a week of ministry in Greece, speaking at a conference for evangelists in Thessaloniki. And then I was down in Athens speaking to some mission partners, um, an international group of mission partners, who are seeking to reach Arabs in the city of Athens because there's a, a big um, arab population there now so i wasn't doing evangelism i was doing training in evangelism so i thought i was let off the hook for a few days at least and i went to um up to the um, acropolis okay he's, who's been to greece here who's been to athens let's say athens who's been to athens who's been to the acropolis and when you're at the acropolis have you been to the areopagus or mars hill anyone been to the areopagus or mars hill so the areopagus is is a, an outcrop near the Acropolis. And you, it will be familiar to many of us here, if not by name, when I say this to you. It's where Paul went to speak when he was in Athens. It's recorded in Acts chapter 17. What we're told is that in Acts chapter 17, Paul arrived in um, Athens and he spoke in the synagogues about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And this was new, obviously, this was new in Jewish thinking. And so uh, he was invited to speak at the Areopagus, sometimes called Mars Hill. And um, this was the place of secular engagement. This was the place where the men of Athens, um, they talked all day, um, uh, we're told in Acts 17. Uh, they gossiped all about philosophy and ideas, all to do with gods and ideas and thinking and philosophy. So Paul was invited there. And what we're told is that as on his way to the Areopagus, he saw an altar to a pagan god. The city was full of idols, we're told. Paul was distressed to find that the city was full of idols. That's the kind of Greco. Uh, Roman, the the, the Greek pantheon of deities, and he passed an altar that said there was an inscription to an unknown God, and he used that as a bridge. He said, I saw saw an an altar inscribed to an unknown God, and he said, the God that you do not know, I make known to you now. That was his opening overture when he spoke to these men of uh, Athens. Anyway, I I went for the third time to the Areopagus, um, and I went just with the intention of praying, as I've been there twice before. I opened um, the Bible on my phone and read the passage from Acts chapter 17. Brilliant story, particularly for anyone who seeks to be an evangelist or share the gospel across cultures. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and as I read the story, uh, there, were, there were tourists, uh, maybe 30 to 50 tourists, mainly tourists, I think, who were milling around on this granite outcrop ...called the Areopagus, Mars, Mars Hill. Uh, and as I read it, I sat down and, and read the story... ...and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to, to get up and preach. That's what I, I sensed. They wanted, wanted me to speak, to gather a crowd and to speak. And immediately, I, my heart began to sink. I began to feel my heart um, bumping sl- slightly. And I, th- I thought to myself, Wor, worst case scenarios. I thought, oh no. I, I said, what if I get arrested? Because this was an archaeological site. There wasn't a sign up that says, do not preach... But um, So I didn't break any rules. But I, I, I guess probably the Greek archaeological people wouldn't have been thrilled if I was speaking at this archaeological site. And uh, then I began to think of the, pl- the police that I'd just seen. The, the, the Greek police are a bit militaristic, and they go around not only with a gun, but they've got a hand grenade on this side here, which is a bit disconcerting. Imagine if the pin came out. But they go around with this hand grenade. And um, so it's a little bit... So I, I pictured myself in a prison cell for a minute. I thought, oh, um, maybe I shouldn't do this. But anyway, I sent I this nudge from the Lord to do this, and I've learned... You know, to, I've, I've learned that no, Lord, is not a good prayer. It's a bit of an oxymoron, apart from anything else. No, Lord. So uh, anyway, so uh, I thought I'd snooker myself. So I, what I did is I, I went and mingled around with a few of the tourists to kind of snooker myself. And uh, I went to one person and said, hello, my name's Greg. I'm a, I've been a lecturer at Oxford. I said in just about um, uh, five minutes or um, so, um, five, ten minutes. I'm, I'm going to do a short ten-minute talk on the history of this place, just down there. So maybe you want to come and, come and listen. And uh, I said this to one person, then another, then a couple, then somebody else, mingled around. And everybody was completely polite. They said, oh, you know, okay, yeah. They just listened, just nodded their heads. One or two people said, oh, yeah, that'd be interesting. I'll come and join you. So anyway, I, I went down to the the front bit where there were two green bins overlooking this precipice. And on the precipice down below was the outline, the ruins of the church of St Dionysius the Areopagite. By tradition he was the first bishop of Athens and um, you might remember at the end of Paul's address we're told that some people became believers and among them it says Dionysius the Areopagite. He lived in or near, on or near the the rock, the rocky outcrop, um, the Areopagus and he became a Christian and became the first leader of the Christian community there in Athens. Anyway so I began my talk and I started first of all By just giving an announcement and I I said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I said, um, just repeated what I was going to do, who I was. And I said in one minute, one minute, I'm just going to begin a a 10 minute talk. uh, I said about the history. Do do come forward if you want to, if you want to listen. Anyway, to my delight, to my surprise, a number of people came forward, about 20 uh, in all, about 20 people came and sat around on these rocks. They sat around on these on these rocks uh, to listen to uh, to begin to the begin the talk so I was well and truly snookered now um, wasn't I before that by the way when I was I was preparing a few things about what I was going to say and at that point uh, the the power went completely so I I lost my bible and my notes uh, and I thought that let me off the hook. So I thought, oh, that let me, lets me off the hook. And I felt the Lord say, no, no, he doesn't let me off the hook. You know, you know, you know the Bible. Well, you know, I, knew, I know that passage really well. Probably could recite it in my sleep. Anyway, so I came up with two points. And the two points were simply this. You are standing on historical ground. And point two is you're standing on holy ground. So the first point was all about the history. It was more theological, more academic. Uh, and the second point was more evangelistic and more biblical and more testimonial. And I thought to myself, as I go from point one to point two, how many people will leave? How many people of these twenty will get up and leave? Only one did in the end. As I went into the second point, this guy got up and he he didn't leave completely. He walked to the back and he sat at the back. I talked to him later. Uh, He described himself as a French atheist, so a French existential atheist. That's uh, why he got up. But I talked to him later. But the rest stayed. Anyway, the first point was all about the history, and uh, it was about the Apostle Paul preaching on this this site. I said probably about AD 50, the Christ event happened uh, in Jerusalem, Palestine in about AD 31 where Jesus uh, uh, was executed by the Romans at the behest of some of the Jewish uh, people. And and, uh, uh, maybe then it's 19 years later that Paul, as the apostle to the known world, he set off and he finds himself in Europe, leaves Asia and he finds himself in Europe. And this is one of his first places where he comes to Athens. Uh, the heart of the Greco-Roman r- world. Before he ends up, of course, in the centre of Rome, uh, the centre, the epicentre, even of the Roman Empire. So I spoke like this, and I talked about the conversion of the empire, Emperor Constantine, and and uh, and I said how uh, Christian history is important because we cannot understand world history without understanding Christian history. The two are inextricably linked together. So anyway, everybody seemed to be interested. Then I got to the second point: you are standing on holy ground. And I said, Paul explained the good news of Jesus Christ, talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of it, what we're told is, uh, the the response was threefold. It says, some people mocked, and I said, you're all very polite, none of you have have mocked me, because none of them did. I said, some of them said, we we will hear you again on this. That was the second response. And the third response was, some believed, uh, including Dionysius the Areopagite. And so I talked about the church down below, and I said, you can come and see the ruins Uh, look over the precipice and you can see the uh, the ruins of the church there but then the link was uh, about my own conversion I said how I became a Christian and I said how I wasn't from a formal Christian home and I talked about how when I was a boy of 11 uh, my mum sent me to church she wasn't a church goer but my mum was a church sender and this church um, this little church sent me on a camp Um, where I heard the gospel so I was on this camp this Christian camp when I was 11 years of age and it was the penultimate night of the camp and it didn't really make sense to me the gospel didn't really make sense to me and I found myself having my hot chocolate looking out of a window it was held in this English public school and in looking out on this quadrangle and in the corner of the quadrangle there was like a beehive that was built into the corner of the quadrangle and as it grew dusk bees flew around in the in the in the dusk and went back into their hive. And this phrase popped into my head from nowhere. And the phrase was this, sin stings, but Jesus can take away the sting. And I said, um, I put my cup down because it made sense to me. I knew what it was to get a bee sting. I knew what it was to extricate the bee sting. And I found a quiet place in the school, got on my knees, and in tears, uh, I turned from the wrong in my life. I asked Jesus to come into my life. I sensed the presence of God, uh, there with me. And I said it was years later that I realised that, that that phrase that popped into my head was, was God speaking to me, sin stings but Jesus can take away the sting. And I found that there was pretty much a paraphrase, uh, that was a paraphrase rather, that was a paraphrase pretty much word for word of something that Paul said which is recorded in the Christian Bible. And I quoted 1 Corinthians 15 verse 56 where the apostle Paul says this, uh, the sting of sin is death But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, Paul, the same Paul who spoke here on this spot, on the Areopagus, he wrote to the fledgling church in Corinth, which was about 40 miles away from Athens. um, Just 40 miles away from where I was now standing. And I said, so near is that paraphrase. If you, if you Google, if you put into Google what I sense God say to me, having ne- never read the Bible as an 11-year-old boy, sin stings, but Jesus can take away the sting. What comes up? His loads of articles and sermons about 1 Corinthians 15, 56, because it was pretty much a paraphrase. The sting of sin is death, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I talked about how I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I've been a follower of Jesus ever since. Talked about the resurrection, talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know whether I was going to do this but, uh, until I got there, but I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll throw out the net just like Paul did. And so I said, if anyone here wants to give their life, life to Christ, you can do so now. And I provided a prayer uh, for anyone who wanted to give their life to Jesus Christ. Anyway, to my delight and to my surprise, there was one guy who did. There were two young guys, both 20, who were sat listening on the front row of these rocks. I talked to them first. One of these guys was called Ahmed Ahmed. Uh, was half Egyptian and half Greek, he told me, half Christian and half Muslim, uh, but he was 100% atheist. That's what he, that's what, that's what he said. His friend, his friend um, uh, Alex, Alex was Greek on both sides, and his his family had been Greek Orthodox, but he'd never given his life to Jesus Christ. He was kind of agnostic, but vaguely theistic, and he prayed, the, he, prayed he told me, to receive Jesus, and I offered to pray for him then. And as I prayed for him then, as his friend Ahmed, the atheist guy, watched on, he was touched by the Holy Spirit. And he said, I feel peace. He said, and I'm always encouraged by that peace. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is the consequence of the life of God in, in, in the soul of men and women. So the fact, he said, he experienced peace was amazing. And so that was my experience just a few days ago. Um, I got out of the comfort zone. You know, Gene was talking about it. it took me out of the comfort zone. I got out of the comfort zone and it took me into the kingdom zone. And that's my experience time and again that when we get out of the comfort zone, uh, we get into the kingdom zone. God shows up. He does what well, he calls us, he equips, and uh, he is with us um, as, as we go. Now the story that I've just shared obviously is about proclamation and many of you might think, well I'm never going to be a preacher. Most of you, nearly all of you, will say I'm never going to be a preacher. I'm not called to share my testimony, my faith story in proclamation and that's true. But what I'm talking about today is using your faith story not in proclamation but in conversation. That's going to be my suggestion to each one of us that we've got this story um, that we can use or each one as a unique and individual story that we can use, not in proclamation necessarily, but in conversation. Okay, so the first thing, uh, really, uh, which I've already been talking about this, is that each one of us are sent with our story. Each one of us here was sent with our story. Testimony is your superpower. Testimony is your superpower. And I used to say to the students when I taught in Oxford. Um, this, I used to say this about story. Nothing connects like narrative. Nothing connects like narrative. When you tell your story, people will sit up and listen. People get bored sometimes with abstract propositional talk. People can dismiss it and become argumentative with it. People can't argue with your testimony. They might not agree with it. They might think you're, you know, you're slightly mad. But they're not gonna, you don't invite a person to an argument when you, when you tell your story. You challenge them. And they think, you know, this person, they seem sane, they seem rational. This is their experience. Could they be mistaken? Could it be true? Nothing connects like narrative. And what I say to you as well is don't let anyone look down upon you because of your story. I've met Christians, particularly Christians, who have grown up in Christian homes. And they sometimes think, well, I've not really got a great story. Maybe, maybe there's never been a moment that I've not believed. I've grown up believing, repenting, trusting Jesus. And I've even met Christians sometimes who felt second class in the evangelical world, where people have their story, a bit like my B story. And they even sometimes, they've told me this, that they've gone forward at a meeting like Soul Survivor or something like that, and they've they've gone forward and made a response just so they could say, "I've made a response." I've on this particular date, I gave my life to Jesus. You don't need to do that. Your story, if it's your story, is powerful. All it needs to be is authentic. All it needs to be is real for you. And it's it's amazing that in this room, there are, um, there, are there are as many different stories as people. Each one of us has a unique story, as unique as our thumbprint. Um, and whether it's a dramatic story whether it's a story like mine, just praying a prayer as a boy, as I did, Uh, whether it's simply growing up and never having a moment in your life when you've not known the presence of God, because you've grown up uh, repenting, believing, receiving, then each story is powerful. And each story will reach a different constituency of people. So do not despise your story. In fact, quite the opposite, rehearse your story. And one of the things that I'm going to say I've said to John, I'm su- suggesting that maybe you take time in your small groups, those of you who belong to small groups belonging to the church, of practising your story in a small group context. And what I'm going to suggest is you take three minutes each, just three minutes, and, uh, and, and, and practise one to another, even though you're all Christians, rehearsing your story. Now it's interesting, when you look at testimony within the New Testament, we have the example of Paul. Now his was a pretty dramatic story, converted as he was. Uh, as he as he uh, encountered the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, struck blind, pretty pretty um pretty dramatic story. Uh, none of us, I dare say, in the room have got one quite as dramatic as that. But there are two episodes in the New Testament when Paul talks about his story, and essentially he talks about his story in three ways. One, he talks about his life before he encountered Jesus. When he talks about I was a Pharisee of pious zeal, he said I was a persecutor of the Christians. Do you remember, he actually held the coats of people who stoned the church's first martyr, uh, Stephen. And then he, talk, he talks about how he met Jesus. For him, it was on the road to Damascus where he saw a blinding light. He was struck blind, and uh, he, he heard the voice of Jesus. "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?" He was persecuting the church, but in doing so, he was persecuting Jesus himself. And then, of course, how he was led by the hand into Damascus, and uh, and then uh, his life since. He encountered Jesus Christ, which was as a follower of Jesus, and then receiving this call as he did to be sent the, a, a sent one to the non-Jewish people, the the Gentiles, the apostle to the Gentiles. So essentially, that's the three bits that make up your story: what I was like before I met Jesus, how I met Jesus, and uh, what my life is like now I have encountered Jesus. And I would say, don't neglect the third part. I've heard so many faith stories where it's all past tense. You know, I became a Christian 20 years ago when I heard this person speak and I gave my life to Jesus. That's fantastic, but actually the danger is if it's all about the past, it can uh, seem dated and not relevant. Make it bang up to date and say, this is my life with Jesus now. This is the difference Jesus is making in my life, here and now, um, in in my life. So, we're sent then with our stories. We're sent to proclaim with lip and life the good tidings of what it means to follow Jesus. And so, I've just got back from uh, Greece. And one of the things that I did when I was in Athens, I went into this uh, shop that sold all kinds of bits and pieces. And I saw this ceramic cross. It was a ceramic um, pectoral cross, kind of cross that you. Hang around, uh, hang around, you, hang, hang around, you, around your neck, and on this cross, it was quite a colourful cross, and in the middle, there was this writing uh, in Greek um, that that said this: "Jesus Christos Nica. That's what it says: "Jesus Christos Nika." And what that means uh, in English is is this: uh, uh, Jesus Christ wins. And I thought, how wonderful! I thought, how wonderful. So I bought, I bought this uh, cross, and I wore it on my plane journey um, back. Um, uh, uh, wore it on the plane journey back on on, uh, on Friday, on Friday, flying back from Athens. And I found myself sat next to this this guy called Nikos. Uh, he's doing a PhD in London, lives lives in England now, and he'd just been back to visit his native Greece for ten days, and he was coming back to his adopted. Country England, where he lives now, doing his PhD. Anyway, this guy asked what I did. I told him what I'd been doing, these talks in Athens. And he said to me uh, he wasn't uh, interested in organized religion, he said. um, He he said uh, he'd been disillusioned with the Greek Orthodox Church that he'd been born into. He said he was kind of um, agnostic. He wasn't quite sure whether he believed in God. He thought there must be something there. Uh, he said, but what appealed to him wasn't so much religion, it wasn't so much theology, um, but actually, you know, when, how, how, how there can be the possibility of change. He was disillusioned with postmodern, secular Western culture, with its consumerism and, um, and capitalism, and uh, with its hedonism, living, living for pleasure. And he said um, he was interested in alternative living, how, how there could be alternative living. He'd read a book by Rowan Williams, former Archbishop of Canterbury. It was interesting. And he said he was interested in monks, monks and nuns, because they seemed to offer a different way of living. Anyway, I said to him, because I, uh, I had the cross, this cross on with me, and I, obviously I didn't need to translate it to him, I said, I Love this Greek cross. And he said, Oh, yeah, they're very popular in my country. And, uh, you know, Jesus Christ wins. And I said, To me, that's the heart of it. Jesus Christ wins. Uh, I said, Nikos, it's not about religion, if religion is rules, regulations, rituals, it's the fact that Jesus Christ wins, and Jesus Christ has changed my life. I shared a little bit about my testimony with him, uh, and I also said, you know, you and I were on the same page, because I, I, I don't like religion either. He was surprised by that, since I was a minister of religion. I said, I don't like, I said, it took me years to figure out that God is not religious. I said, and if religion means rules, regulations and rituals, that's not what it's about. Supremely, it's about a relationship with God, knowing Jesus Anyway, after I shared the good news with him as much as I can, this went on for our plane journey back to England. I said to him, because I shared enough of the gospels, "Would you, would you like to give your life to to Christ?" Anyway, nine times out of ten, I'm going to talk more about this next week. Nine times out of ten, people say yes when I when I say that. That's that's not because um, that's because that's because I'm fairly experienced now at knowing when it's right. When it's right. But on this occasion, he said, "He said, no, no, I don't think I'm ready, but I'd like to hear you pray." He said, "Now I've never, now that I've never had that before in all my years. I'd like to hear you pray." And I go, "Okay, what, what about?" He said, "No, just pray. just pray. I'd just like to hear you pray." So anyway, we both prayed there, at thirty-three thousand feet, thirty-five thousand feet. And I prayed, and I did a bit of a prayerman, which is basically a sermon and a prayer mix. So I said, "Thank you, Jesus, that we're, you know, we're made right with you because not because of works, because of faith. That's justification by faith." The heart of the So I got, I got in quite a, few, a bit more, a bit more stuff, and I said, "Thank you for your Holy Spirit." And I pray that you touch. Uh, Nikos now by your Holy Spirit, because even though the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you unless you give your life to Christ, of course he can touch you. Anyway, I finished the prayer and I said, how was that? And he said, oh, very good, very nice. He's very, very good, very interesting. And I said, did you feel, did you feel anything? He said, no, never never felt anything. Now some people do, do, but he didn't, never felt anything. But he basically wants to know more. And so he comes into category two of the response on the area, because where he said, he wasn't mocking, but he wasn't saying he wanted to be a believer. He said he wanted to know more. So he's added me on WhatsApp and I'm going to, you know, we're going to connect with him on WhatsApp um, a little bit. Each one of us, we have our story. Your story is your superpower, and uh, your story is unique. And so um, be unashamed of sharing your story. Okay, the second thing is this that you and I are sent, we're not just sent with our story, we're sent to build bridges. We're sent to build bridges. Now, if we look at the early life of the Christian church, The Christian church was birthed obviously in revival and then the the era of the early church fathers it's sometimes called the patristic era the early church got into apologetics apologetics is to give a defense of the Christian worldview over and against alternative worldviews and that's because the early church there was all kinds of ideas out there there was the Judaism from which Christianity had emerged there was the pantheon of Greek deities there was Roman thinking there was philosophy there was all these different ideas so when people say to me that we are in a unique time where christianity in a post-christian paradigm has to take its place in the supermarket of ideas on one level yes we are in a unique time there's never been a time quite like this but it's not unique in that that was the experience of the early christians and so uh, in some ways it's a reversion back as christendom has disappeared it's a reversion back to where some some of the early christians were nearly 2,000 years ago and the early christians had to figure out are we going to be polemic combative when we come up against a worldview different from Christianity, or are we going to be conciliatory? And I think there's a room for both, but I've learned to be conciliatory. I've learned to build bridges with people, and that's what we're called to do. So when I became a Christian, it was from a nominal Christian home. My mum was a Catholic, but she didn't practice. She's 87, her house is still full of Catholic paraphernalia. Uh, crucifixes, knee-high statue of the Virgin Mary, the Infant of Prague—you name it. It's all there in my mum's house. Anyway, when I was fourteen, I remember sharing the gospel with my mum. She sat down. She got the gospel shared. I had an audience of one—just my mum. She sat there in front of me, and I stood up. I actually, stood, she sat down. I remember I stood up, shared the gospel with her, and the the, the the climax of my gospel presentation is she had a crucifix, which is a cross with the body of Jesus on. And I said to my mum, I said, "He's not dead. He's alive." And I ripped the body of Jesus off the crucifix, and I got it and I threw it into a waste paper basket. like like that. She screamed, ah, like this, because I was desecrating her crucifix. She didn't become a Christian on that occasion. Not surprisingly, I perhaps drove her slightly further back. I've learned that we need to build bridges, not burn bridges. We've already heard from uh, Joel uh, in the video, and um, I've just asked Joel just for a a few minutes to just come up and just share a recent episode that happened this week. It's brand new, it's up to date, um, about an experience uh, he had where he got to say something of the gospel to um, a work colleague. If you'd like to come
2: uh, to come now, uh, where he was presented with this opportunity. Joel, over to you. Uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, so my, my work doesn't have any crucifixes, so I couldn't rip any off the wall, unfortunately. Good job too. Uh, uh, I, no, I started a new job recently, uh, and it's, it's in an office uh, base. Uh, and I've been getting to know my colleagues, they've been getting to know me. And um, there's this one uh, colleague there who... Um, it seems surprised that I've I've got two two young kids, which I do, and um, but still sort of turn up each day, uh, sort of awake, and, and and she's always always says, Joel, why are you so so bubbly? And anyway, on on Wednesday this week, she came up to me almost annoyed, and she was like, Joel, why are you so bubbly? What's your secret? And I thought, oh, that's that's a real opportunity here. So I just sort of prayed to myself. I said, God, um, give me the words to say. I said, well, if, if you want the honest answer, honestly, it's, it's because of my faith in Jesus. Um, and I was really aware of what John shared uh, a few weeks ago, saying that if we don't explicitly preach the gospel and say uh, it's because of Jesus, then people will assume it's our own like, self-work, our own self-effort. And I didn't want her to think that. So I, I just said, I said, well, the gospel is uh, that Jesus came, he died uh, so that we could be free. And I said I used to worry a lot, I used to uh, be quite anxious, um, but I don't do that anymore, I don't, I don't worry. And, um, and that allows me to, to be bubbly, to, to sort of move from one thing in the next in my life without, without worrying about it. And, uh, and there was someone else in the office who was overhearing the conversation who seemed really interested, um, but unfortunately some more people came in at that point, so we couldn't continue the conversation. Uh, but that was my experience this week. Great, right, Joel, thank you, thanks very much. So thirdly
0: then, and finally, sent to be proactive with the gospel as well as reactive. So that's an amazing story there that Joel's just shared, just fresh from this week, is a wonderful example of sometimes we get the opportunity to just say something of the gospel because an opportunity has presented it to us on a a plate. Uh, I I call that being reactive. Uh, And notice as well, just as um, Joel shared that, he didn't feel the need to say everything, uh, you know, Some Christians feel the need to you know, go into the whole thing and go into a, about their testimony, but he, he didn't. He just sowed a few seeds in terms of the gospel. Uh, it, was, it was reactive because it was precipitated by his colleagues saying, why are you so bubbly? You know, he said, oh, well, it's, uh, I've got joy in my life. It's because of God in my life. And then a little bit of testimony. I used to be anxious, but now I don't struggle from anxiety. He just sowed a few seeds to do with um, the gospel. That's all that we, uh, we need to do. Very often that's all that's appropriate. In fact, less is more uh sometimes and people are sometimes tongue-tied and they say what do i say almost just do it you can say any it doesn't almost it doesn't matter what you say just trust god open your mouth he'll give you the words and um you know uh, speak in those contexts but we're sent to be proactive as well as reactive so reactive an example of reactive would be the story obviously that joel's just shared where this lady said to him about why you're so bubbly why you're so joyful it's on a plate and he took the opportunity the sad thing is i come across situations i've been there myself i must say in times past. Where we're offered a, uh, an opportunity on a plate and we don't take it. Someone might say to you, "You know, hey, or, you know, did you have a good weekend?" yeah, yeah, I had a good weekend. Uh, what did you do at the weekend? I oh, yeah, I played golf uh, on a Sunday. Oh yeah, I basically you know went to see a film or something like that. Uh, but actually, the person saying saying to you, "What did you do at the weekend?" And you know full well you spent your morning in the King's Church. You, you know full well that actually part of your diet is to worship the one true God. And, and you, also, you don't need to preach. All you do is need to say. All you need to do is come out. As a Christian, so to speak, we need to be out and proud uh, these days. And uh, and she said, "Well, yeah, yeah I, went, yeah, I go to church. You know, that's what I do. I go to go to church." And the person might be surprised. I've had uh, people when I when I've said that, "Well, oh, you don't seem the type. You don't seem it's easy not to see, it's easy not to seem the type because people have got this all these misconceptions about what Christians are." And then you said, "Well, you know, yeah, but I, this is my practice, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Jesus." you know christ i just find that he gives me hope in this in this time of hopelessness it doesn't in a way it doesn't matter what you, what you say you see so we need definitely to take those opportunities and be um reactive but what i want to finish by saying is this dare to be proactive as well as being reactive yes definitely take those opportunities just as joel did on that occasion but dare to be proactive and how do you do that well sometimes it's to find a link by which you can share a uh, the, the good news and, and, and get the conversation uh, going. Now, sometimes when you do that, a person's not interested and they close it down. And I always say to people, witness to the point of resistance. So, if somebody clearly, you know, if you've got a bit of EQ, emotional intelligence, someone's not interested, stop. But it's amazing how many times people are interested and they ask another question, you give an answer, and then maybe you ask a question. And before you know it, a naturally flowing conversation uh, happens. Let me just finish with one example for me. I was in Los Angeles Airport on my way to Australia. Uh, just a few weeks ago and it was the middle of the night Uh, it was the middle of the night for for English time it was about 2am but it was uh, early and I didn't want to go asleep because I might miss my connecting flight because I I was really tired so I went into this bookshop in Los Angeles airport and they had these children's biographies that were there and there were loads of them and uh, one of them said who was Gandhi there was a picture of Mahatma Gandhi on the front who was Princess Diana with a cartoon there of Princess Diana on the front who is Barack Obama with a cartoon picture of Barack Obama and who was Jesus Christ with a picture of Jesus Christ there anyway I, I got a few of these went to um, Jonathan Jonathan was the the guy there was one young guy who was working uh, in the in the bookshop. There and he'd, he'd come away from the counter because the customers weren't there for a for a moment. And he was stacking shelf. Anyway, I went to him and said, Hey Jonathan, hi. Uh, he obviously told me his name, didn't know his name. Hey Jonathan, he told me his name. And uh, I said, I said to him these books, I said, Oh, I like these biographies. You know, who was Mahatma Gandhi? Yeah, very interesting. Who was Princess Diana? Nice that you've got an English person. Uh, here, who who is Barack Obama, um, great guy. And they said, What well, who was Jesus Christ? And uh, and I said, um, it's wrong. The title's wrong. And he said, What do you mean? And I said, it's Who is Jesus Christ? Not who was? Jesus Christ, Jesus is alive. There was a resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead. And he looked slightly quizzical. And I said, do you believe that? And he said, uh, I think I do. That was he said, I think I do. And then it turns out his name was Jonathan. That's how he came to tell me his name. And Jonathan had been born in the Philippines. Um, and uh, he, he now lived in the United States. And he was from a very Catholic uh, family. And uh, he said uh, the only person who was a a believer was his grandmother, uh, who was a devout Catholic, he said. But he he said his his parents didn't follow it, and he said he didn't follow it. But he said he recently went back to the Philippines for for the funeral of his grandmother, and he said she was a a delightful woman. He said she had a genuine faith in God. He said, and it made me think, this is just a few weeks ago, it made me think. You know, maybe this is true. Maybe this Christianity stuff's true. You see, God's timing. God's timing was perfect. He'd just gone back to his grandmother's funeral, someone he respected, who he said was a believer in Jesus, and that got me thinking, is this true? So I basically went in there and said, well, I believe it is true, shared the gospel with him, and I said, look, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And on this occasion, it was one of the nine times out of ten, not the one time out of ten. He said, yes, I do. He said, I'd like to do that. So I prayed with him there and then, in the bookshop, and he gave his life to Jesus. And, uh, And as he gave... Uh, his his life to Jesus Christ. He had a tangible experience of the Holy Spirit. He, he, the, he uh, t- the Holy Spirit touched him uh, tangibly. Uh, at that point, there was a big queue of customers. But uh, the thing, so I said, "Well, you better go and serve your customers." He seemed to be oblivious of this, and he sort of went off. And they looked they were looking slightly, they were slightly perplexed. Actually, what we were doing, sort of praying in the middle of the, the shop as they were waiting to buy um, their books. But Jonathan gave his life to Jesus Christ. That was a, that all started from a proactive thing. And uh, so what I would say to you is be reactive, for sure, when you get these opportunities handed to you on a plate. Um, But also dare to be proactive. Maybe initiate with a link, just like the one I've just shared with you. When you do, just like Joel, sow a few seeds uh, to do with the gospel. But you know, I want to say to you that the easiest way you can be proactive is through invitational evangelism. And you've got these amazing uh, carol services that you have every year on the 11th of December as you know, I'm going to be speaking at them, the 11.30, the 3.30 and 6.30. There are going to be uh, usually hundreds of Christian, non-Christians, I think, through the building. What an amazing opportunity to, for you to do a bit of proactive evangelism. And it's as simple as this. We've got this guy who's, who's coming to speak. We have uh, mulled wine, mince pies, do we, uh, at, the, at the carol service? Maybe we don't. Whatever. Whatever we, we do, we do these amazing carol, carol services. And come along. Come along. It's like a concert. You know, it's amazing how many people who are non-believers... Uh, we'll come along to a carol thing because there's still the residue of Christendom in, in our nation, folk religion. So let's use it. Let's, let's, let's use that, brothers and sisters. That's the easiest way. I throw that out with you. Go on, I, I dare you. Um, be proactive and invite uh, somebody, invite a colleague, a friend, uh, a non-Christian believer, not yet uh, Christian work colleague, whoever it might be, um, Uh, Jean said, the words came easily. Do you notice that? She said, I was terrified, but she said, when I did it, she said, the words came easily. Perhaps that's not a surprise. God says, he will give you the words. Do not fear what you will say. I will give you the words, the scripture says. And do not be surprised that as you step outside your comfort zone, maybe that you enter the kingdom zone. So I'm going to conclude by simply saying this, be like Jean. Jean said this, give it a go, she said. Remember, she said, give it a go. If I can do it, anyone can. You know, the shoes, that Greek word i quoted already, Nike, it's the the word that's used for the training shoes, Uh, Nike. We pronounce it Nike, which means, uh, and and Nike means winner because they're using the term win in terms of you can win in terms of athletics. So be like Gene, um, give it a go. Be like Nike, just do it. Remember that motto, Jesu Christus Nike, Jesus Christ wins. And actually he has made each one of us more than conquerors, and so we're called and empowered to be his witnesses. That many, through our witness, might come to hear the gospel, might come to uh, uh, maybe hear the gospel at church, or maybe we get the chance to explain it to them. And they come to know that there is a God in heaven who is for real, and he longs to uh, envelop them in his divine embrace. Hallelujah.